in, folks, to the Get in the Hole podcast. Steve McAvoy and Jake Dippold here. Another Monday in the world of golf. The, the elevated event schedule just keeps on pounding and pounding and pounding. Last week, the waste management took captivated basically everybody uh, on stage. Nine of the top ten players in the world. Obviously, Cam Smith didn't play, clearly. We all know why. Uh, took center stage out in Scottsdale. The Super Bowl happened. And then we basically redid, redid the whole thing with the Hollywood and now – the Genesis Invitational was basically everything you could have wanted and more. Uh, we had pr- crying press conferences. Uh, an old tiger shot one under par for the first time in 800 days, something like ridiculous. And of course, what else? What else is new? John Rom wins another event. Uh, I got roasted by my old host uh, and friend of the show, Ben Piero. Uh, he texted me and he was like, "Oh, clutch gene," because I said back in I don't know, I think it was. Uh, September, I think, of last year. I was like, honestly, I don't know about John Rahm because he had one win in, what, 18 months, and that was the mm-hmm. U.S. Open uh, at Torrey Pines. And I was like, does he have the clutch gene? I, w- I would say no. I thought other players did, and um, he reminded me of my statement. Then again, I-, I totally admitted to this about two months ago. After he had dominated the, B- the BMW, I was like, John Rahm is legit, and now he's, he's, he's getting back in his winning circles, so... Now I'm like, all right, he is this good. Um, now he's won what I think five times of his last eight events, something ridiculous, and uh, and he, and here we are. But an absolutely ridiculous week in the world of golf. Jake, give me your uh, your initial thoughts from this past week and anything that happened over the week that we should know about. Yeah, just just John Rom winning. I think it's five out of his last nine starts. Nuts. Um, just absolutely unreal. So that means he's every – more than half of the times he tees the ball up on the PGA Tour, he's winning. I saw I saw some stat or Instagram post about what his, like, adjusted handicap would be if you played, if you played a scratch golfer. I think right now if you take his scores and, and, like, ratings and slopes of the courses he plays at, he's like a plus 14 golfer. Yeah. Which means if you, if you went up against a scratch golfer – he and on a, like a normal course, he'd give you twelve strokes, and he'd still dominate you. It's crazy. I'm a thirteen handicap. Yeah, so am I. So about right. same. If you and I took him on, in all right, here we go. Here we, go. we played him in individual match play, and he gave you that. Well, no, not match play. Or actually, no. No, yeah. It would be match play because it would be um, – we would get the number of strokes per hole mm-hmm. anyhow. So you played him in either individual match play or in a one-day event, and he and he gave you all those strokes. So, so, so 13 – realistically, though, because he's a plus 14, 14 handicap, right? That would be – you would get 12 strokes on top of your, your already handicapped. So you'd be getting 25, 25 strokes. Yeah. Could you beat him? No, it wouldn't. Even, I like. I would want to say yes, and I want my. I want this podcast to exude confidence. But the, and like, I just. I don't even know if like getting three a hole, like three strokes a hole on a PGA level course, if I could do it. I, I mean, probably at three a hole. Well, well. All right. So what I found fascinating is, um, so back when Bubba Watson was still in the good graces of the PGA Tour. Uh, golf.com did a thing. They bought Bubba to a local Muni in California. I think, think that week for like a practice round. 
And they were like, what could Bubba Watson shoot on your average Joe golf course? Mm-hmm. I think the yardage was like 6,700 yards from the tips. Wasn't anything crazy. He shot three under. Really? Now, granted, granted, that's Bubba Watson. I mean, like, like it, 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 it was more so him just missing all these birdie putts and just basically playing par golf the whole yeah. way through. A PGA course, I mean, obviously we would be absolutely crushed. I mean, I've played black multiple times, and I, I want to cry um, half the time. I, I hit my driver 280 yards half the time on, on Bethpage Black. The the tee box, if you were to play, even the, even the front tees, to get to the fairway is at least 240 yards. So I would be on the fringe of the fairway to even just start the hole to begin with after my tee shot, assuming it doesn't slice 30 yards into the woods and I lose the ball. So in those situations, all right, I get it. But down by you, right, you go down and play whatever golf course uh, in the Carolinas. Do you think you could beat him on a course that you're familiar with? Yeah, with, with two a hole at my home course, I think I can do it. And, I mean, it comes down to, like, if you're in the rough on a normal Muni course or, like, a normal – even a normal country club course – anywhere that's not a PGA Tour course, you're hitting it out of some pretty bad grass. Like, even the fairways yeah. in comparison to – like, I've played some PGA ready courses, and I actually think it's easier. The only thing that's harder is the greens because of just how, like, adulated they are. But hitting out of the fairway in those on those courses, you're hitting a clean shot like you're picking it off a mat at the driving range. You know, so, like yeah. – at a normal Muni, like, you're playing on bad grass. Your fairway is basically the light rough on the tour. So, like, you're never hitting a clean shot. The only yeah, – the biggest difference is spinning the ball enough to be able to keep it on these greens mm-hmm. where it's basically promoting your ball to fall off. Well, like – so, like, that's where I th- 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 think the beauty is, is that, like, you you don't know any better, right? Now, granted, mm-hmm. look, I've, paid, I've played Beth Page Black in off-season conditions. It's the middle of October. It's kind of getting colder. The grass is just getting resodded for the winter, so it can maintain. They closed the golf course for the for the for the whole winter, um, but like it's it's kind of sort of out of season. It isn't necessarily the best overall conditions. I mean, it's good for like, for what it is. It's great actually because it's it's just it's, it's pristine because it's mm-hmm. it's Bethpage Black. But they're not making it PGA Tour level conditions, and even then, the rough is still all the way up. So in those situations, I mean, yeah, look, but like playing those golf courses, like I can go to the local municipal golf course here in Queens and it's going to be like absolute dog shit. But at the same time, though, like these guys, I don't know if they can handle the the really bad conditions because, yeah, they're yeah, they're used to playing in five inch thick grass. But what's five inch thick, thick grass when all the rough is basically like hard pan at that point? Yeah. And I think so, even like the greens. At least you know what a putt's going to do most of the time if you read it correctly on the PGA Tour. But these Muni greens are so – like no one fixes their ball marks. No one does anything. Like you really have no idea when you hit the ball, even if you read it correctly, if it's going to follow that line because it could hit something random. There's there's leaves all over the green half the time on some holes because that's where the trees just fall. You know what I'm saying? Not to mention too, and I think this is a really important aspect of it too, you're rolling pure greens – on PGA Tour level courses. Mm-hmm. I went out to the Hamptons to go play w- w- with a friend of mine. Played West uh, played West Hampton Golf Club. What's it? No. Southampton Golf Club. 
you would tap the ball and it would run. Yeah. I've never seen that before in my entire life. I go to a local Muni halfway through the year and it's fucking beaten up. The greens are so inconsistent that you can never get a good read. The when you're on the um the the putting green to start uh your practice to, to, to like practice, it rolls faster than, than than on the course. Like you're not getting it a any consistency. So like that in those situations, I I, I totally get. But enough enough on that. That, that, that was more of our uh, our typical discourse. But John Rom. Despite the fact that maybe we could beat him, I honestly have no confidence that I could. Wins the Genesis, beats Max Homa, beat a loaded field, one of the most one of the heaviest fields we've had this year. Some are saying it, it could be an even heavier field than some of the majors we're going to see, uh, but takes home the new number one ranking. And of course, when you win the Genesis Invitational, man, what do you get? You get a car. Pretty damn cool. So he, he's driving off in a new whip, even though I'm pretty sure he probably drives a, drives a Bentley. Most of them yeah, do. Whatever he wants. Um, if Bryson DeChambeau drives a Bentley, I'm sure he could. He can. He can have whatever car he fucking wants. But uh, John Rom wins the wins the Genesis. What do we think? Do we think this is now the uh, that will? Let me let me phrase this question properly. We mentioned this earlier. This is like the heart of golf right now. This part of the year, major season is a month away, two month and a half away, roughly. As we turn it over to March, it's now. Some of the hardest golf courses, we play the Waste Management, play the Genesis. We're going to go to the Honda Classic, which is traditionally one of the hardest sloped courses on the PGA Tour. Then you have Bay Hill. You have the Valero. You have the Match Play. Like All of these events that you're going to go and play are significantly more challenging than what you played in the early on, early on part of the year. Even like the Amex and the Sony were not at this level. Those were all, all country club style um, resort courses. This is the bare bones, difficult, really uh, pedal to the metal kind of stuff. Um, can John Rom keep this going, or are we going to see other competitors take uh, take fold here? Obviously, a loaded field this week. Mass Homa played really well. Wolves Torres played well. We had mentioned uh, before the show his putter was like how his putter is still terrible. Um, but there are, are other guys here who can compete. We haven't seen Rory fully uh, out and about yet. Scotty Scheffler showed out out last week. Won the waste management again. What do we expect? Yeah, I think every time Rom tees it up, as we've seen with that stat we mentioned, he has a chance to win. Mm -hmm. I do think that I don't give enough credit to Scotty Scheffler, and he kind of threw that right in our face at the waste management. But, I mean, there's there's probably four or five, I'd say four realistic guys that could really contend to be the number one world golfer um, at any point in this year. And – I think that's different from what we've seen on the PGA tour in recent years. There's really been one guy who's jumped to the front and, and dominated like Scotty on um, when he made that big run last year. And, and Rom may do that this year. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. We'll see if Scotty or Rory or Xander or someone kind of pushes on him. Um, but it could be Rom. It could be Scotty. I just don't think we give Scotty enough respect for Rom to be, just that clear cut number one favorite and say that he's way better than everyone else. But yeah, Rom, Rom right now just looks unstoppable. Yeah, no, he's by far the best player on the planet. I would argue at this point, we're getting to a, and I said this two years ago or last year, whatever it was, um, that John Rom was number one in the world. Once again, obviously he's back to that ranking. When he was number one in the world, it was basically him and Cantlay who were just kind of back and forth the whole entire year. Obviously Patrick finished with more wins 
John Rom wound up uh, fumbling a little bit at the tour championship. But at that point, though, like John Rom was going into events, and every week it was seven to one odds. It was eight to one odds, and the rest of the field was like eighteen to one, and nineteen to one, and fifteen to one. John Rom is getting to the point where unless Rory McIlroy can can come back strong, and, and again, he hasn't really played uh, outside of the, these last few weeks. He hasn't really played his best golf. He won the CJ in, in the fall swing. Didn't really play much outside of that. Um, I mean, granted, look, like Rory McIlroy has played, has played very well, but uh, like he hasn't played to the caliber that you would expect from what is a world number one. And you're right, Scotty Scheffler really doesn't give, a, really doesn't get enough love um, for how good he actually is. It's kind of ridiculous when you think yeah. about it. The guy has had like one one finish outside of the, outside of the top top twenty five in his last like twenty starts. Um, so kind of nuts when you think about it overall, but I, I agree with you. I think, think there are fights this year. I think Max Homa has become to go from where he was about say nine months ago, even after he won the Genesis last, uh, last year or two years ago, like didn't see what Max Homa was going to do all of a sudden last year. He had what I think. 17 top 15 finishes. Uh, he was unstoppable for the entirety of the year. He finally breaks into the top 10. I think he's going to keep on going. Uh, you've noticed that Max Homa wins events and plays well in the best fields. Uh, yeah. And if you haven't noticed, if you've been sleeping under a rock, the best fields are going to be playing from now through basically June. Uh, and then there's going to be a little lull. He'll come back for the majors. I think Max Homa really, honestly, right now, and, I, and I've even put put in the in the uh, futures bet, will win the U.S. Open. I was um, just going to say that. I was literally just going to say that. I'm all over that. Like, like if, I, if I had to tell you the guys who the guys who will realistically win a major this year, John Rahm should a thousand percent be winning a major, and I would not be surprised in the slightest in the slightest if he's the one to win to win at Augusta. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. The course fits into a tee. He has that skill. Scotty Scheffler could very well win a second green jacket. I'm sure he will. Uh, you'll go somewhere like the PGA. One of those two guys will win. I think the only reason why Max Homo wins the U.S. Open is because he has the lowest career score ever at L.A. Country Club. And he did it when he was 20. Now he's like 30. So it's a, so it's a very different ball game. Um, who wins at the Open? I don't really know. I would love I would love, love for it to be Rory because it would make sense. You go yeah. to the open, you want to win the open. Um, but like those are the four guys who I think could easily win a major because they are the four guys who are right now, in my opinion, the best four golfers in the world. Patrick Cantley is really good, but has he been playing like the number four player in the world? Maybe, not really. I expect all of these guys, if you're, if you're a top 10 golfer in the world, you should be finishing routinely top 25, top 30. Yeah. It shouldn't be make the cut. Shouldn't be finish T fifty. You're gonna have your off your off weeks. I get it. But like Justin Thomas, right? We said it last week, and I completely fumbled my uh, my bet last week saying he would win. But Justin Thomas loves to go on hot streaks and then go cold. Yeah. Let's just look at what he's done over the past six months. Finished third at the RBC Canadian Open, 37th at the U.S. Open, missed the cut at the Scottish, barely didn't even crowd the top 50 at, at the Open, finished 13th at, at the uh, FedEx St. Jude, outside of, outside of the top 50, top 50 to the NW, fourth at, at the Tour Championship, 40th at the CJ, 
discount the hero world challenge 25th at the century 25th at the farmers fourth at, at the phoenix open and 20th this week now he's in his hot streak he's kind of getting it he's gaining momentum yeah. at some point though in three weeks don't be surprised when justin thomas goes 40th 42nd and then 30th don't be surprised because it happens every fucking time it's like freaking clockwork xander shoffley cannot get a win on the pga tour is yeah. he really good? Yeah. Has he been getting a top 10 finish almost every single week? Absolutely. With the, with the exception of this week where he finished 33rd, he's gone 10th, 13th, 3rd, 4th, 9th, 6th, 3rd. Like, it, it's ridiculous. And again, he won the Travelers at, and the Scottish last year uh, back to back. But like, could he could he win a major right now? Not better than Rom, Scheffler, Mahoma, or, um, or Rory. No, I don't see it. Patrick Cantley do it? Maybe. But even then, like Patrick Cantley, you, you even look at his his recent results. Missed the cut. Oh, sorry, third this past week. Missed the cut. 26th, 16th, second, 16th. I don't know. Yeah, he he's I feel like the Masters is always someone sneaky. So like Cantley would be like a random backdoor sneaky guy to win. But I'd be curious what. The future on the future is if to, if you go Rom to win Masters and Homo to win the U.S. Open because I just feel like it just is almost like low hanging fruit like that has to be a crazy high odds just to pick two people to win golf tournaments but they have to be the odds on favorite both to win those two tournaments. Uh, well, Homa isn't. I got Homa at plus thirty two hundred. That's incredible because was- I mean, we saw it with Fitzpatrick when he won the U.S. Open. He won there. As a junior, and it really, really showed late in that tournament when Mito absolutely just handed it over. But no, not Mito. Who who did he beat? I'm thinking of the PGA Championship. Who did Fitzpatrick beat late? Um, oh, Will Zell Torres. Yeah. Um, Sir, you like, literally watched oh, full swing. You should know this stuff. I know. I know. I don't know what I'm thinking of. I'm just. I just <laughs> want to talk about Mito dumping that thing away every single episode. Oh, d- don't don't worry. And and to the viewers, I promise you, we're gonna talk all about full swing on the other side of this thing. And don't worry. There's there's so much time to talk about about, about Mito's terrible shot and how his girlfriend is way out of his league or his wife. I know. I know. Way out of his. Yeah, league. We'll talk about that more later. But yeah, Homa, like Homa, to play the U.S. Open and win the U.S. Open for him to have that experience is just crazy. Um, just just to give you an idea, Max Homa is is currently twenty one to one uh, to win the U.S. Open. Which again, I got I, I got him, I got him in a thirty two to one. Uh, he is one two three four five six seven eight. He's the tenth guy uh, on the odds board. He's currently tied tied with Matt Fitzpatrick, who would go go to repeat. If you bet Rom and Homa right now, a ten dollar bet would net you eighteen hundred dollars. Wow, I'm gonna do that. I have to do that at this point. Are, are we going to do this? Yeah, that's going to be to get in the whole bet. Shit. While that's we're a, at it, while we're at it, if you want to add Rory to win to, to win the Open, $10 would net you $16,800. And then what well, what if you pick like JT to win the to win the PGA? Oh god. <laughs> $10, wow, you would you would pay my student debt. Two hundred sixty-nine thousand dollars. Wow, is that what it pays out? Yeah. Wow. I would honestly, realistically, if I'm going to do this, I would probably pick pick Scotty for the PGA. I also cannot discount Cameron Smith yet. You love him. I do love him, and Cameron Smith 
is the only person, and we'll, we'll mention this with full swing, the only guy, with the exception of Harold Varner, who jumped to live, and I don't absolutely hate, because he at least finished his year out. Yeah, I'll give you and, that. And Varner's also the only one who openly admitted, "I'm doing it so so so, so my kids can have a lot of money because I'm not going to make a lot make a lot a lot of money on this tour." Just yeah, totally fine. That's acceptable. I'll I'll put I'll put Ian Poulter in that category just after a full swing. I mean, no, fuck about, him still. No, something about those episodes and it seems no, 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 no. Mm. I'm going to save this because I have a rant um, coming up. No, we're going to get deep. We're going to get deep on the other end. But also, um, if you bet Cameron Smith to win the PGA, you can win $300,000 on a 10-buck bet. Is he 100% allowed to play? Yes. Okay, let's see. And if you bet, and, and if you bet, if you bet mm, Scheffler to win the PGA, yeah, it's 235000 So that would be your four majors, Rom, in order, Rom, Scheffler, Homa, and Rory to win all four majors would net you $235,000 for, for a $10 bet. Speaking of Max Homa, he had a pretty emotional press conference following his uh, his um, T was it T two or a solo two finish uh, to John Rom said that he really does care about about this game and uh, the fact that, that that he's gone from the average Joe who would critique golf swings to one of the top ten players in the world it means the world to him and that um, he was just, he really just showed that he cared and I think yeah. that that that's really the ultimate um, point that I'm getting at and the reason why it's in this rundown is that we see a lot of guys get emotional, um, particularly after wins. We saw Tony Finau do it at the Rocket Mortgage because uh, obviously his son wasn't there when he was playing. Um, we see guys guys like Billy Horschel that, that back when he won uh, his event. He got emotional because his kids, it was the first time one of his kids was able to see him win, win an event, hadn't won in three years. Um, just a ton of emotions go through you when you win. But when you lose, it's almost as nerve-wracking when you think about it, right? You have... A lead, the fifty-six, the fifty-six hole lead, which by the way, far sorry, the fifty-four hole lead, which might I add is probably what is the hardest thing in all of sports to keep. Mm-hmm. I would argue. Um, you were a pitcher in college. You know what it's like to be a reliever and come in and in clutch moments. You might have not been a closer, for all I know, but you were you most certainly had a high leverage situation, bases loaded. You you were in a jam, and you have to get out of it. There's nothing harder, in my opinion, in sports than holding the 54-hole lead in a golf tournament because you got to sleep on it. You're going to sit around till 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. you got to wait and just sit around and wait for everyone else to do their shit. And then you basically show up and go, shit, I'm four behind this guy now because he was one stroke behind me and he was in the group, I don't know, four, four, four behind me. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things to do, and I don't blame Max Homa one 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 bit for getting emotional about it. Um, he is one of the best players in the world, and I think he deserves so much credit that actually is given. Yeah, I think it's absolutely crazy that this is the Max Homa that we get to watch now. Um, it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's like because at one point he was comparable to like Harry Higgs and Joel Damon, and he was just like the Twitter guy, and he tweeted things and played golf, and now. He every single week is competing at the highest level, and we expect him to win. And he's like the new one of the new faces of the PGA Tour. I just think that shows how fast you can climb in golf if you start figuring it out and getting into form and winning. Yeah, no, it, like he he really has proven himself. And like 
yeah, the Joel Davins and the Harry Hickses of the world, like still, still, still like great golfers. And again, we're, we're going to talk all about Joel Damon on the other side here, but Max Homa has, has transfigured himself. Yeah. Crazy. And it's almost like, yeah, he was, he was like, like the homeboy rally cry kind of guy of golf for, for a bit. But now it's like you kind of you kind of have to take him seriously, you know. And so it's like, like how can you? Because he still keeps his persona, like especially now as a dad too. Um, yeah. Top three people who, who who I can never see being a dad. One of those one of those Harry Higgs. The other one is Max Homa. Um, the other one's Steve Buscemi, but that's a different story. Am I wrong? Um, but like, no, Max Homa is just like he's 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 configured himself to become this overall just stud. And he's still and, roasting people. Like he's still yeah. roasting people on Twitter, and he's winning huge golf tournaments. That's just absolutely insane. And like, it, and it's crazy too because as as a guy who, what what he's only about, I don't know how how old is he? He's probably in his like late twenties, if anything. Oh um, yeah, late twenties. He's thirty two. Yeah, early. Yeah, early. 30s. Like. This is the this is the highest ranking he's ever been in his entire career. He he has eight wins. He's never finished any better than thirteenth at a major. Like he wow. he's gone from someone who was kind of just there to what can we see every single week from this guy? And it's kind of become become must must watch TV, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm all I'm all on the home and train. U.S. Open champion, and just going back to your fifty four. Um, whole lead thing just makes it that much more impressive what Matt Fitzpatrick did leading from Thursday on. Like he went to bed every night with that lead and then woke up and finished with that lead and then won the golf tournament at a major. It was crazy. Don't worry. We're going to talk all about full swing. Full, full swing and a hot bet. Two things, though, that we have to that we have to get across. We talked plenty plenty about John Rahm, plenty about, about Matt Soma, but really, the guy who stole the show despite finishing 70th this week. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods, one under par, Three birdies on Thursday in that ridiculous group with Rory and JT. I could have only wished to have been there. Um, Dan Rappaport said, said, quote, it was the most memorable five minutes of my life, and it was on Thursday. Um, this guy has watched his best friend win a U.S. Open. He's watched ridiculous players win Masters events and majors. And he said watching JT, Rory, and Tiger make birdie on 18 at, in Hollywood was like a – it, it it was literally like the father, son, and the Holy Spirit just kind of just showing up and showing out. Um, but yeah, Tiger Woods, one under par, first non-major round in over 800 days since since the uh, the accident in 16 rounds of golf that he, that that Tiger Woods has played in. Made the cut at the Masters, played all four days, played three days at the PGA, and withdrew. Missed the cut at the Open, and now this, and obviously squeezed in between was a couple rounds. With Charlie, like what a comeback, dude! And yeah. honestly, like, and I, 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 what really got me was at his press conference on Tuesday. They were like, "Do you really think you could win?" And he said, "I wouldn't be here if I didn't think I, if I, if I didn't truly think I could win." And he showed it, honestly, as somebody who for eighteen months has been trudging around on a limp. And has been trying to act way stronger than he actually is. No sense whatsoever of um, a vulnerability from Tiger Woods ever. You kind of saw it in every round of golf he played that that his heart was literally like pounding out of his chest to try and 
finish and, and trudge through. And this week, I really saw something in Tiger that I was like, wow, this is actually incredible. Because I've never seen somebody ever come back from an injury like this and not only not only go under par for a weekend, for a week, but like walk a golf course for four days. Like that alone is impressive. Yeah, and I think I think the excuse for the Open and him not making that cut is that like walking those courses is something – outside of even the ordinary at a major like that's a whole nother beast for him to walk that course with that leg and i mean i was just trying to pull up the genesis leaderboard and just see like who he finished in front of for people who want to doubt tiger tie with tom kim who we talk about all the time finish in front of sun jm who is the miraculous about three thousand bazillion odd favorite next week in that horrible field um cory connors molinax Finished ahead of Matt Fitzpatrick, Hideki Matsuyama, Taylor Montgomery, JT Poston, Andrew Putnam, Kevin Kisner, Davis Thompson. Just like a ton of names who we are, we think should be competing every single week to win the tournament. So if Tiger's finishing way ahead of them, playing the same exact course in the same exact conditions, how can we not say Tiger can win? You know? Should you be embarrassed as a golfer if you finish behind behind? Behind Tiger this week? I don't think I don't think you can ever be embarrassed if you can even in the same language or sentence as Tiger Woods. But you should, yeah. I mean you yeah. figure it out a little bit. Matt Fitzpatrick. Someone eighteen off. months off somebody eighteen months off of almost get having a double amputation in his legs. Yeah, and like I don't know, but like his back almost fell apart two years before you're that, right. three years before that. Like by the way. By the way, didn't even realize this, and I want to just toot my own horn for a hot sack. I and I didn't bet it, and I really should have. My Justin Suh T forty pick on the nose T forty. Let's go five hundred. I wow. That's your boy. He's like the forty five year old Chinese guy, right? He's he's like twenty four. I thought he's old. Maybe he's maybe he's young. I don't know why I thought he's old. What? I'm pretty sure he just, he literally just graduated from, from USC. Oh, then who who is the really old Chinese guy that only plays certain amount of events? Is that him? No. I thought we had a conversation about him. Maybe I could be way wrong. A, a, an Asian player who only plays a certain number of events and like just plays like the Chinese tour. And you maybe it was Justin Su, but he's young, so that's why. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No. Are you thinking of Chan Kim? Maybe. I feel like we had a conversation about this. Chan, Kim, Chan Kim, fun facts. I picked him in a in a Masters um, like player of six pool. Yeah. And the only reason why I picked him is because he because he hits his driver three hundred forty yards. And I was <laughs> like, oh, he, I was like, yo, yo, this guy, this guy's gonna pound Augusta. That's fine. He finished second to last and missed the cut. This <laughs> first, first round was fourteen over. Larry Mize played a better round of golf than him. Yeah, when you're behind, oh, you're also yeah. playing with all those like six-year-old winners. So if you finish second to last, you're really, really strong. Right? Like Sandy Lyle was playing better rounds. Yeah. Sandy Lyle is probably on his deathbed. Knock on wood. That's a horrible comment. Yeah, knock yeah. on wood. So something that, that came to my mind uh, this past week that I realized going into what we're going to see next week, uh, like you said, and you made probably the funniest comment um, of the show, uh, Sanjay M., is let me get the odds correctly is nine to one to win the honda classic this week 
Following him, well, please tell me if you know these names. Shane Lowry. All right, you should know. Yeah. Alex Noren, Aaron no. Wise, Minwoo yeah. Lee, Matt Kuchar, Chris Kirk, Billy Horschel, Danny McCarthy, Adrian Moronk, Sepp Straka, Thomas Dietrich, Cam Davis, Taylor Pendrith, Harris English. If I asked my girlfriend or, or you asked your fiance right now, hey, do you know these guys? I bet they wouldn't know a single soul. I mean, I know maybe six out of nine, and I consider myself pretty deep in the college, in like not college, in the PGA golf, and like the only one amongst the top like twenty that I've never watched actually golf is Adrian Moronk. Yeah, I've even heard that name. I think he's like Austrian. <coughs> I, I could also be incredibly wrong, but like, like, my God, <coughs> sorry. I mean, I made these uh these butter chicken. Burritos, which are which are by the way amazing. amazing. Uh, my room sm smells like a Indian kitchen. Um, but this past week, obviously the last two weeks, we've watched the top ten golfers, top twenty five golfers in the world, all tee it up. It's been incredible to watch. But going back to when uh, Jay Monahan announced that this the whole elevated event schedule, and obviously he loaded a bunch of them in here. We have the, we have these two. We're gonna have uh, Bay Hill. We're going to play. Uh, play the play the memorial, the match play, like all these events are going to be elevated events. But there's going to be a time somewhere like wedged in between all of this, and the Honda Classic is going to be the uh, the first really awful example of this, where no one's going to play this event. Now the Honda Classic is is, is one of usually the hardest golf courses to play on tour every year. The slope rating is incredibly difficult. It's 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 at PGA National. It's where all the um, it's, it's basically at the, uh, golf hall of fame like this week, right? The Honda classic, the Puerto Rico is going to get played. And then that's going to be four straight weeks, actually, four, sorry, four or five weeks of elevated events between the, between Bay Hill, the players, the Valspar, the match play. And then it's like Punta Cana and then the Valero, which isn't then the masters, the elevated event at the Heritage, the non-elevated event at the Zurich, non-elevated at Mexico, uh, the Wells Fargo is it is going to be elevated. Like guys are going to need to take breaks, and the yeah. Honda Classic is the first example of the event just absolutely wiping ass when it comes to no one wanting to play this event. Where it's Sanjay M and Shane Lowry top of the odds board, and honestly, we might this might be the worst field we'll see amongst actual yearly events. That isn't like the Mexico Open and the Bermuda Championship and um, the Punta Cana Championship. Like those, we get those are going to be second rate events. This is a first rate event that has nobody, and it's kind of sad because we're seeing the after effects now of what the elevated event really does to you. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love seeing guys play at the Honda Classic just because of how hard it is. But if I'm if I'm one of the dudes, I'm not going there just to get absolutely pounded by a golf course and lose all my confidence going into arguably one of the more important weeks on the tour. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I mean, I'll play devil's advocate for a second with the elevated events and why they're good. Like they're great for a guy like Nick Taylor who finished second at the waste management yeah. and brought home $2.7 million, which was actually less than his two or which was more money than his two combined wins added together previously on the tour. So like for him to have that opportunity for him to jump from high, high hundreds in the world rankings to now being, I think he's like 73rd yeah. in the golf rankings. It's just like, it's really beneficial for those guys. 
but it just kills the vibe of anything that's on the elevated event or a major. Yeah, no, look, I totally agree with you. And I think we said this a couple weeks ago, where the rumors that they that 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 they might turn these events into um closed events for only like the top 75 players in the world, kind of like what you saw with yeah. the um WGCs back in the day. If those happen, then there's a problem because yeah, it, it's the same thing as live. It's it's the the poor stay poor and the rich get richer because now it's gonna be top seven top seventy-five players, no cut, everyone's getting paid. Like those things I don't really yeah, like. I, I love I absolutely love how this week at the Genesis, if you look at at the money, right? Matt Kuchar made six hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. The guy is in his late forties and is not winning an event. I'm sorry. But to bring home over half a million dollars to your family, that's great. Adam Svensson, 545000 Harris English, this is the first time Harris English has been top 15 in an event since he got hurt a year and a half ago, bought home 445 k Tom Hoagie, even then, top, even like, even top 30 golfers, right? Like Tom Hoagie is still somebody who will not win an event, will win one, maybe one, one in every, what, 25 chances probably? He, he'll he bring home some good money. Sam Ryder bought home some Bought home cash. Nate Lashley, Peter Malnati, Kramer Hickok. These are not household names bringing in double my yearly salary. Yeah. Like they deserve it. They're good. But they're also they're also in the back end, end of the top 100 and no one really knows them. If you close the event off and it's only the top 75 players in the world, it, it isn't the same when the worst player in the field, quote unquote, every single week is, according to this, Ricky Fowler or Daniel Berger or, like you said, Nick Taylor, Judith Spawn, Mav, Mav McNeely, Andrew Putnam. Like, yeah, they aren't household name golfers, but I would much rather see somebody way, way, way further back, like a Joel Damon, who's 93rd in the world, or a Luke List, a Gary Woodland, Cameron Davis. Like, those guys who are on the back, back, side, of the, back side of the top 100, why can't they get a shot? Why can't they get a shot? At the big money, even like Emiliano Grillo, Trey Mullinax. Um, I can even go deeper and deeper and deeper down this list. I, I'm, at, I'm in the 120s right now. Lucas Glover, Matt Jones should be having a shot at this kind of money. Nikolai Hyogard, too, another young guy. Like these guys need to make a living, too. And and we you learned about it a lot in full swing, too. And obviously, I've talked about it a lot with, with Ben in the past. Like as a player, your caddy makes 10% of your winnings. You pay for their lodging. You pay for their travel. For the most part, they're kind of separate to you. It isn't like you two are a are are, are a together group. I, I know Preston Shambo talked about it once. His contract with NetJets technically does not allow his caddy to fly with him. He 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 makes it happen, but he has to pay them to let him fly with them. So like those things kind of get all fucked up and. Guys need to make a living. And what yeah. good is it? Even I get it too, like with the cut line and everything, like, yeah, you don't make the cut, you don't, you don't make money, but at least give them the shot. Yeah. The opportunity is what matters. And if they change this up, first of all, we're going to have, while it might very well um, deter those top 75, those top 75 golfers will not play in like the Honda again. But your best player will will be the guys who do play back to back weeks. So, like for example, the um, the Sanjay Ims of the world. But then again, your best player once you kind of get past all of that is going to be Joel Damon, 
is that really what you want? No, you want to have the best players in the world every single week. I think the I think the big thing is too is spreading out the schedule a little more. They yeah, have to spread just, out the I mean, elevated events or change them every year. Make yeah. the second rate events an elevated event, and this way people are going to flock to every event every other year. Yeah, and I mean this just makes it. It's an easy choice for these guys to take this week off with yeah. what's following after it. I mean the problem with if you go ahead and say only the top 70 golfers get to play in this tournament. Where essentially what we're going to do is we're going to create like the major leagues, triple A and the corn Ferry tour becomes double A because like the Honda classic, for example, is just going to have a bunch of double A style golfers there. And you're never going to see Justin Thomas. You're never going to see Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm at these tournaments. So you're creating levels of golf, which is, I think would be the worst thing ever for golf. And that's why golf is awesome because when you see a guy like Nick Taylor making a push on Sunday and the average golf fan is like, who in the world is this? That's what makes golf golf and not the major leagues where a guy gets pulled up. You know what I'm saying? Not to mention, too, if this happens, like, we've already made jokes about how, like, the official world, world golf rankings is, like, obsolete almost. Yeah. Like, it will literally not matter whatsoever because if you're going to limit it to only those guys, only those guys can move. Where Nick Taylor finished second, second, second at the waste management, and he jumps. Let me just double check this so I can be 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 totally sure. Nick Taylor went from let's say, hmm, yeah, he went from ranked two hundred twenty third to seventy third yeah. in yeah. one day. Crazy, like that. It matters so if, much. If he puts together a couple of good rounds of golf, he gets to play the Masters next year. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he can figure that out and and make a little more of a push, he makes that huge jump there. If he makes one more top ten in that late event, he's teaming it up at Augusta next year. But he, if, if he doesn't have a chance to play, there's no shot. Yeah, like he he still he he could technically still make the U still make the U.S. Open. Yeah, exactly. But all he needs is a shot. And what good is the official World Golf rankings if you can't even move because you're now barred from playing the Genesis Invitational. And the only events you can play are either non-scaled events where most players are going to take off or you play in the secondary events and you basically just got to win a bunch to move up. But like the, 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 the SOF is not going to be anywhere near what it would be if you gave everyone a shot and you played an elevated event where the strength of field is like in the 400s. Those things yeah. really matter. And I think those are that, 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 that's the key differentiator here that I think matters the most. We're going to take a short break when we come back. We're going to discuss a couple more things with the Live Golf Tour. We have a new set of guys jumping over. What do we think of that? And, of course, some full swing analysis, getting into everything from this past week. Watched every episode. It was lights out awesome. Uh, Chad Mum and the folks at Netflix did, a, did an incredible job. Took like 70,000 hours of film and crunched it into eight 45-minute episodes. We're going to talk all, talk all about it right here on the Get in the Hole podcast. Don't you go anywhere. The Get in the Hole podcast is brought to you by our fantastic merch partners, PHI Apparel Company. PHI Apparel Co. provides designs and high-quality clothing for the great fans of the world of golf. With their original designs for all, there's no doubt you'll stand out in the crowd rocking your Get in the Hole podcast official and first edition merch. This is the first time in show history that the Get in the Hole podcast has had merch so you don't want to miss out. Our listeners can use promo code UNDERGROUND for 10% off any apparel when you shop online at phiapparel.co. 
That's phiapparel.co, code underground, for 10% off any apparel. Rock that Get In The Whole Podcast merch out in the wild. Send it to us. Tweet at us, at Get In The Whole Pod, when you're rocking your merch. Big thank you to PHI Apparel Company for being the best merch on the planet. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Get In The Whole Podcast, sponsored by Ties Baseball Tees. Ties Baseball Tees is the online t-shirt shop that is all baseball with over 30 original designs from straight out of the bullpen to strikeouts are fascist. Ties Baseball Tees is the place for top quality baseball merch. Get your tee now at tiesbaseballtee.com and get 10% off your purchase with discount code PITCH10. And don't forget to follow them on Instagram at Ties Baseball Tees. Jake? We saw three more guys jump to live this week two of which i don't think even matter at all i don't even think they should be in this conversation but a guy like thomas peters i think has to matter a little bit to pga um yes and no i mean does it does it really matter all that much that a that that the six that the yeah actually he's pretty he's pretty damn good actually 34th rank off in the world jumping over i mean everyone else like Brendan Steele, we kind of we kind of saw it coming. One of those like names that was that was like kind of in the in the debate for a while, um, but didn't totally go. And then I can't even tell you the uh, the third one who, who who official jump was it? Who was it? I don't even remember. It's some it's someone that irrelevant. I, and Thomas exactly. Peters, Thomas Peters tweeted right before like making the jump. Sad to miss my favorite term of the year because Well is number thirty four in the world. I just couldn't get into the Genesis Invitational. So, like, I think we knew that he was just making the move and he wanted to take one more jab at the tour. But, I mean, like, there's what, – what the Invitational does and how they examine people they let in is done by a very strict and very, yeah. like, regimented set of restrictions to get in. And I'm sure Thomas Peters hasn't been the number 34 golfer in the world when those, when those like, set of players was, was set. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he's made push recently to get – higher up in the rankings and mm-hmm. for him to make that tweet he's just trying to spark drama with live yeah n- n- no i i mean he, i mean he's been he's been relatively the a top 30 golfer for the last i don't know y- uh year or so he he won back at the uh the hsbc championship two years ago managed to jump from the 70s to the 30s it kind of hasn't let up whatsoever um is it a huge loss i i wouldn't really say so because when you look at the events that he does play, he he's really a European tour player more than anything else. Yeah, uh, he doesn't play a lot of um, American events. If you look at if you look at, at at what he's played, we can even go back as far as oh god, we're we're gonna go way back to last season. He played in the Genesis. He played at Bay Hill. Played the Players, the Match Play, the Masters. That's five events. The PGA Championship, so six. The U.S. Open, seven. The Open, technically eight. And then outside of that, that was it. Over the last year and a half, has only played two two co-sanctioned American events, four of which are co-sanctioned by the European Tour, the PGA Tour, the Asian Tour, and everything else. So really, yeah. only been four American events that he's played. He's played as in terms of the last I don't know eight weeks. He's played the Czech Masters, the BMW PGA in England. The Kazoo Open in France, the Dunhill Links Championship in, in Ireland, 
uh, the, the Age of BC, and the Hero Dubai Dubai Desert Classic. That's about it. So, is it a huge loss? No, but at the very least, it's uh, it's some sort of news. I've been curious, um, and I don't know. You probably don't even you know this either. But in Europe, is the European Tour like? Do they think that's more special than the PGA Tour? Is there a pretty good understanding that the PGA Tour is the height of all golf? I think it's understood that that the PGA Tour ha- has more power, but I think the European Tour, for a lot of guys, it's like it's it's like the springboard that that they'll play it more often to get to like like if you could dominate the European Tour, you should be able to play pretty damn well on the PGA. I think yeah. a lot of the guys just don't think that they are capable enough to beat Roy McIlroy every week or yeah. John Rom John Rom every week, so they don't yeah. do it. Um, but a little, little bit of news in the live world. I, I, I'm not going to dwell on uh, on guys like Mito Pereira and Sebastian Munoz and all those idiots going to live. However, I will dunk all over Mito Pereira when it comes to full swing. I'm so excited for this. The Netflix docuseries Full Swing, eight episodes, 45 minutes each. Ian Poulter said it the best. You chose a hell of a year to follow the PGA Tour. Holy shit. The... Everything about it was really good. I think there were a few things that I wish they had. Um, if you haven't watched it yet, absolutely you should. Episode number one chronicles basically the relationship between JT and Jordan Spieth as kids. Uh, episode two is that the, is episode two the oh episode it's two Brooks. is all about uh, Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. Uh, they meet up with Joel Damon. They talk about about uh, Joel and his caddy Gino Benelli, who's by the way like. I have I met him once, um, Gino. I was I knew a guy uh, who I went to high school. Who what, me and him went to, went to the same high school, and he worked for a company called the Caddy Network. And he invited me out to to, 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 to like, say hi, tour the studio and whatnot. I was applying for a job, and I went out there. I was a junior in college, and the Caddy Network, obviously as it sounds, uh, is looking at golf from the perspective of the caddy. And Gino Benelli was there and I was talking to him about just like what life is like on the PGA tour. And at that point I didn't know golf like nearly as much as I do now. And I was like, Oh, who's your cat? Who do you caddy for? He goes, Oh, Joel Damon. And I was like, Oh, that's all. That's totally awesome. And in the back of my, the back of my head, I'm like Johnny Damon's cousin or something like, um, had no idea who Joel Damon was after watching full swing though. And we could break down every episode. We we could kind of just have a discussion on it. I've learned three things. I learned that one, uh, Brooks Kepka is an asshole. Yeah. I so is Dustin Johnson, but like I kind of always knew that. Uh, Joel Damon needs a hug, and like badly. Yeah. And of every single person on the PGA Tour that I feel the most for, it's probably Matt Fitzpatrick. Your, your, sorry, your take, your thoughts. What did you think of Full Swing? Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. I think we should go through each episode and just give some thoughts, starting sure. from episode one and, and working through. But overall, absolutely incredible job by Netflix. Just an absolutely incredible look into the golf world. My only knock overall is that they didn't have more clips of what golf actually looks like on tv like to not to not have swing tracer shots because the pga is the most 
sensitive about keeping their stuff. I don't understand how they wouldn't even give it up to Netflix. And I'm sure that that rests on CBS's shoulders a lot. Um, but overall, absolutely incredible. Absolutely great. And we'll, we'll dive more into each specific person, but I definitely have some opinions on each episode and each individual, but incredible job. Can't say enough good things about it. Grinded through it easily in one weekend. Um, spoiler alert ahead. If you don't want to, I mean, it's all real life, so you should already know what happened, but I know like <laughs> when people were watching F1. They were like, oh, who? don't tell me who wins in 2018 on season one of F1. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. spoiler alerts ahead. Like, we're going to say who won the 2022 U.S. Open. Sorry. Um, but let's go to let's in, go to JT. In case you didn't know, Matt Fitzpatrick uh, stayed with the same family that he stayed at when he won the amateur with his brother and maybe won, um, won the biggest major of the year. I don't know. But, yeah, That's no, funny. we'll talk all about all, about all this. Um We'll start with episode one. I mean, we all kind of knew the story behind JT and Jordan Spieth. Obviously, mm-hmm. that cast of golfers, the guys that are all in their mid early thirties now, for the most part, they all played against they all played against against e- each other in the uh, the junior ranks. I mean, Tony Finau was in that group. Uh, Max Homa was a little behind them, but was still kind of in that like grouping. A lot of these guys have, I've known I've known each other since they were I don't know nine ten years old. um playing in these amateur events it's kind of crazy to think though that like jt and jordan spieth are the best of friends but they like the i think what's nice is is that full swing first of all did a really good job at portraying the um the humanism of golf uh obviously like we look at golfers and really all athletes and kind of put them on a pedestal and like how could they ever be wrong yeah and when you think about like full swing, like guys just scream profanities at every single putt. Like, yeah, we hear it on the hot mic, but like to like to watch Justin Thomas go through his entire cadence, talk through his caddy, talk the bones, and take his shot and go sit, 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 and then just let out a let let out a giant fuck. Yeah. Or or like Justin, you fucking asshole. Like you hear these things that are that are for lack of a better term, obviously not safe for work. But you're hearing these things that, like, you would never think these guys would ever say it. And then also, on top of that, going to their homes and following them when they're in the car and when they're at home and, and talking to family and all that stuff. Like, those those interactions you obviously don't get. Um, so, it's, so it was kind of like a nice mix of, like, reality TV. But um, JT and Justin Thomas, sorry, JT and Jordan Spieth, best of friends, uh, competitive edges to them, obviously – uh, Jordan Spieth has not been the golfer that, that everyone thought he would be. Uh, but in 2018, Justin Thomas was like, yo, I want to be this guy. Because at, at that point in 2018, I think JT was like in his second year. Um, Jordan Spieth was winning every event. He had won, th- he had won three majors and almost did the Grand Slam in a year. Um, I just think like that's that side of things, things was pretty cool. I had nothing really to, more to add about episode one, though. Yeah, for me, episode one was great. Justin Thomas does not knowing how to use a credit card machine was something that kind of shocked me a little bit. Um, not sure if he like goes into stores for himself often, but I thought Justin Thomas and the only thing I didn't like about the show the whole entire time was the forced like acting interaction when when Spieth called JT and was like, oh, Jordan's calling me. Oh, I yeah. what this is about. And he goes, hey, man. 
what should my best man speech be about? Oh, I don't know, man. Like, I just like, we could have probably done without that. But really cool to see Justin Thomas down the stretch and coming back at the PGA Championship and like watching the little monitor. And they didn't have a monitor out there for him. So the guy had his phone. He was like, oh my gosh, Mito just took the ball in the water. Mito just chipped it across the green. Like, he's not even in the playoff. You're playing with just Will. It's just you and Will. And I just thought that was really cool to see that behind the scenes. Um, yeah, and the other thing I want to talk about, and we could probably talk about it more with Fitzpatrick, but Netflix, like, definitely dubbed in some extra stuff. Like, there's no way when Matt Fitzpatrick is walking up to the tee, are they saying, you suck, Matt. This is for the United States. Like, there's no way that happened at the golf course. I don't know. Part of me could see it. I what. When I went to the Northern Trust a couple of years ago, like that was like peak Bryson versus Brooks drama. Yeah. Because because that, that was just before the playoffs. Well, that was the beginning of the playoffs and everything. And and I didn't expect some people to be as harsh as they were. Um, and like it isn't even like like the people who work there are like, hey, shut up. Like they can't say anything about it. Um, so like some of those things I would not be surprised in the slightest if it was actually said. Um People are just ruthless. I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've been to UFC fights where, where, and now granted, look, different beast, um, UFC. But saw a fight once, and it was a Russian versus a Chinese guy, and the crowd the whole time was yelling USA, USA. Like, bro, come on. That's funny. Um, yeah. Other than that, we can dive right into Brooks and Scotty. Brooks for me, just absolutely ab- abolished right now mental state for believing he can compete on the PGA tour, which is obvious why he went to live because he truly like, he was like, he was at dinner saying, Scotty shot a 63. Like, I just can't do that. I'm just not going to be able to do that. And I mean, I kind of feel bad for the guy a little bit, I guess I don't really. Um, But Scotty just absolutely amazing has always been my favorite golfer since he kind of came out of the scene, but just to like see him and his wife and how grounded and, like laid back they are. And I think how like out of the spotlight he is in terms of like yelling and whatever is why he doesn't get much love for how good yeah. he is. Like Rom is this fiery guy. Like you're always going to talk about him, but, but speed or not speed. Scheffler just goes out there every single week, does this thing, goes home with his wife and his dog and just does that. And it's, the mean, playing golf. it's just such an opposite you see with Brooks and, Brooks's wife not wearing clothes for the whole entire episode. And then we see Scheffler and his wife. (laughs) We see Scheffler and his wife just being the exact opposite of Brooks and his wife. So, I mean, some people will lean into one more than the other, but I just, I just thought it was really cool to see those differences and just a difference in confidence and just the absolute opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to confidence on a golf course. Brooks Kepka was exactly what I thought he would be. Yeah. And it, I think it's funny because you're right. Like Scotty Scheffler does not give off this, like I am the top dog kind of vibe. No, he's, he's the skinny lanky kid who is just content with going to Longhorn game days on Saturdays when he isn't playing golf and just goes out there, plays his round, has fun, eats brisket and goes home, goes home to his wife and his cute little dog. Yeah. Brooks Kepka, elaborate house, smoking hot girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever she is. Like, 
everything seems great. The muscles and the 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 bad boy vibe and the attitude yeah. and the douchiness he has, and then you you peel back the onion, and you get a depressed, dejected, and fragile human being who goes, "I cannot compete with these guys." We can, we got. I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "This is the Bruce Kepka that I've been looking for for years." Yeah. The guy who in 2018 said, I will step on your throat to win an event, could not do it. And I think what's interesting, too, is that, and this goes throughout um, the episodes with Ian Poulter and, and Brooks and, and DJ, that the reason why Brooks Kepka left, and, we, and like, like we all kind of knew it to a degree, he only played well in majors, and even then, over the last four years, had not played well in majors. Ever since he won the PGA and the U.S. Open back-to-back years, it kind of was like, all right, what's next? Because he yeah. didn't do it. He never did it at Augusta, and he never did it at the Open. So, like, what could you expect now? When he said, finally, like, and I quote, I'll be honest with you, I can't, I can't compete with these guys week in and week out. It totally makes sense to me. Bruce Kepka left because he simply could not take the competition and the level that everyone else was at. And same thing with Ian Poulter. Ian Poulter said it too. And he was like, look, I have five kids. I also didn't even realize his son is a freshman in college at, at Florida um, playing on the golf team. Yeah, kind so of like, a stud, I heard. So like, what? And kind of a stud. I heard he's kind of good. Apparently he is. So like, Ian Poulter, right? Father of five. Has a kid, has two kids in college. Wants to focus on his family. Is 46 years old. He is on the back end of his career. He's not going to win events anytime soon. And if he does, it'll be at like the Mexico Open or yeah. or the Roast Beef Invitational. Like we'll not be winning um, like big time events anymore. Same thing goes for guys like Graham McDowell and Sergio Garcia, who obviously we didn't see on the show. But Ian Poulter said like was like, look, I'm I have other things to worry about now in my life, and I don't want to think about every single week having to travel. He wants to stay at home. He wants to play his eight. He wants to he wants to play his fourteen event schedule that that's spread out over over three weeks at a time, and just enjoy his time with his family. And I think finally, like we got the answers from all the guys who went to live that we kind of wanted to get. Dustin Johnson said, "Look, I've already left a legacy on my career that I don't. I I didn't think there was any more to add. Is, are you totally wrong? Yeah, you are wrong because you only won two majors, but." Like Dustin Johnson, I don't think he has to prove to anybody that he's good. We all we all know he's good. Yeah. He's going to go out and he's going to play every major now because they're going to allow him to play. If he goes out and plays majors and he's and he's allowed to to play them, he's a he has a chance to win every single time. Yeah. So like he already had the legacy of the Ryder Cup. He already had, had the had the President's Cup legacy. He's already had twenty five wins on tour, which is already top ten all time. Like he's already got the got the accolades there. If you could win majors, a part of live, why not go? Um, I just hate how none of these guys didn't say it in the first place. And it's the same reason going back to what I said earlier. Why I love Cameron Smith and why I love Harold Varner. Harold Varner said when he jumped in his statement was, "I want my grandkids and my grandkids' grandkids to be financially stable for the rest of their lives." No. And he made a statement how how he's a black golfer and there aren't many black golfers and you don't get a lot of respect and you 
you want to make money and like he is good but he wanted to make, he wanted to jump because he can make millions and millions and millions and millions every single week yeah um Tim like Cameron Smith played the year out went to live did not ha- have any qualms fine you you did your time all these other guys didn't say anything and no. it kind of it, it always rubbed me the wrong way but now watching full swing it really kind of got me the closure, I guess you could say, which is kind of lame of me to say that because I was like, why should I be seeking closure for this? But like, finally, they like the true colors came out. I think that, and I think Brooks Kapko was like, like apex predator turned like little clownfish. Yeah, and it was kind of hilarious, but also completely, completely warranted. Yeah, it's like it's honestly sad to see what Brooks went from to what he is now. Like he's just this guy moping around with white hair, and <laughs> like I mean. And like he's never gonna get that edge back on live. Like no one cares if you live if you win at live. So like he's just gonna make a ton of money and like have to figure it out with something else. And then Poulter, we we kind of disagreed a little bit on Poulter on the front end. Like I kind of see where he's coming from, but I get I get what you're saying as well. Um, also, Ian Poulter kind of just showed, and like I always knew it, but how much money these guys actually have. Like to see what Ian Poulter was doing. Like just shows like the inordinate amount of money these guys already have. Um, and who was who was on Poulter's episode with him? Episode three. Um, I honestly can't even tell you. I, I don't even, don't even really remember. Who's episode four? Uh, episode four was Joel Damon. Oh, we can talk about that one. Let's yeah, let's, that, let's jump right into Joel. Yeah, no, like just like real fast though, like Ian Poulter. I mean, like what he what he, he he's earned. Uh, 25 million dollars in his career like all right that's that's totally great like good for you like you've already done your thing actually um episode three is only uh ian poulter i think oh they gave him the solo episode for Polt daddy well uh, i mean let's be honest they weren't going to give it to the uh that that asshole sergio garcia so no <laughs> that most certainly was not going to happen um oh. but uh but no yeah no joel damon dude i Unreal. absolutely absolutely an incredible human being a guy that i will cheer for until the day i die and just to see joel go out there and compete and why he doesn't and i i knew there was something with his family and why he wears the cancer hat but i didn't realize it was his mom um and that was definitely something that like i didn't think i'd get like emotional i didn't think i'd get emotional watching this show and it definitely happened you know yeah no like i I learned a lot about Joel Damon um, for a long time. I always looked at Joel Damon and I was like, oh, oh, he's the goofy guy who took his shirt off with Harry Higgs. Um, yeah. He was in the trio of comedians. That was the two of them and Max Homa. Um, again, I had known who Gino Benelli was, uh, a really good caddy, a really good guy, someone from Idaho who – well, both grew up in Washington, but lives in Idaho and just kind of did his thing, has his family. We, we kind of got to look into the, the life of a caddy. Yeah. But even like with Joel Damon, mom had cancer. Uh, she she had pancreatic cancer and died. He had testicular cancer and managed to beat it. Didn't um, know that either. That's crazy. Yeah, like, like, like the, the story is fascinating. And honestly, like, we talk about the the mental health the mental health of golf, right? 
And back when I had Ben um, come on a few times, and we'll have him on, on again eventually to talk about it, but he always talked about how he had a mental coach who he'd always talk to. And I actually interviewed Ben for something back when I was in college, uh, and we talked about how he almost actually um, stopped playing golf because he had incredible anxiety and he was very nervous, and it almost kind of drove him to death. Um, just was in a terrible place in his life because he was consumed by golf. And the same thing goes to Bruce Koepka, right? Like Bruce Koepka was is so consumed by golf. He he, he even said like I could be out with my wife and. I'm just thinking about my, I'm just thinking about, about my golf swing. That's one thing, but like Joel Damon's a whole other issue where the guy is a really good golfer and is a back top tier 100 player in the world, but has zero confidence. Yeah, like it, it, it like that stuff goes to show you like you need to have like this arrogance and the swagger about you, and it's like it's why. Guys like Dustin Johnson and Tiger Woods and Bruce Koepka for a while were so good. And Joel Damon just doesn't have it. And I think it was cool um, knowing that obviously when he when he played the U.S. Open and played really well, that, that he earned respect from a lot of guys. Because at the end of the day, like like they're just trying to make a paycheck, man. They're just trying to live life. And for someone with a story like Joel Damon, uh, I have like he needs a hug. And like I want to give him the biggest bear hug of all time. I I got honestly a little, little emotional, um, because like, yeah, that's just like that episode intertwined the 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 love for people and your team, your caddy, your mother, your your family, and all of that, um, and the mental health aspect of golf. And I think it was a, that was honestly the best episode of the show. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, episode four, no, episode five was that. That was um, Matt Fitzpatrick. Oh, that was Matt Fitzpatrick, and then Morikawa. Yeah, I I want to talk a little bit, a little about about this now. Matt Fitzpatrick, for his entire career, was always like the guy. He was so good in England. He was the he won the he's the first Brit in like 180 years to to win the U.S. Amateur. Um, did it at the country club. He isn't the biggest guy, and I I always say this. I'm watching it. I'm watching it with, with uh, my girlfriend, and I, if I can find the clip of me saying it like months ago, I will. Um, I once said that Matt Fitzpatrick has quote unquote the most punchable face in golf, and my girlfriend goes, "He has a punchable face," and I'm like, "Honestly, you're not wrong." Um, I used to hate Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him, and I got a lot of respect for him halfway through last year, um, just because of how good he was getting. But Matt Fitzpatrick is very much like a quiet young kid who's analytical and overthinks himself, and just does not let his foot off the pedal. And that's what makes him a that's what makes him a great golfer. And that episode really showed me that that Matt Fitzpatrick is somebody who more than anything else deserves a top five ranking in the world because of the fact that he, he works hard. There's no one who works harder on in golf than, than him. And it shows. Yeah. I completely agree on Matt Fitzpatrick seeing those books of every shot he's hit for the last seven years. Absolutely nuts. Like that, that guy cares about it, works at it, 
pushes himself harder than anyone. And that's why he's confident when he goes out there because he knows how hard he works. I, I hate to say it, but I think a little bit of Brooks's inconfidence comes from the fact that I guarantee if you match up Brooks' pack practice schedule to Fitzpatrick's practice schedule, it's going to look a whole lot different. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And no, like, I mean, no doubt. yeah, for that guy to go out and what he does and for him not to have any wins, for him to get his first win on the PGA Tour would be the U.S. Open is just absolutely incredible. And then going back to Netflix again, another thing, there's no way Max Patrick is listening to the coverage of the tournament on the way to the course. Like, yeah, now are people going to think that's real? Because that's not even close. There's that was no dubbed. Actually dubbed. Like, Matt Fitzpatrick, I just don't see it. I don't see him win the tournament. We think he's leaving that on on the way to the tournament. Like that's just not no. a thing. Um, and then episode five, Morikawa. For Morikawa, I thought it was like a pretty fast episode. Like nothing really jumped out to me other than the fact that he has like the cutest dog ever, and he just lives in LA. Like nothing's even hitting me in the head. Of, like stuff that stuck out to me from Morikawa's episode. Um. Well. The, there's a there's a, a lot to delve into, and I actually want to introduce somebody who who has plenty of experience in the world of uh, of you know episodes and TV. Let's bring on Kyle Bennett joining the show, jumping on in. Hey. What up, boys? You actually came with the you you came at the perfect time because we're talking full swing, and I don't know if you've seen it yet. I haven't seen anything yet. All right, just like be prepared for first of all, just like really great content, and also. One episode that that you're probably gonna cry, nice. um, but from somebody who kind of getting a, getting away from the the episode will recap and talking about the show, uh, I want to get your take as to what you think people should expect from a golf docu series. Considering like I don't know, like most people like don't really watch golf, and like as somebody who doesn't w- traditionally watch week in and week out, what would you expect from a show like this? And obviously, we'll probably have you on next week to to give your take. Being that you'll watch it this week, probably. Hopefully, but um, hopefully, like like like, what would you expect? Um, well, being that it's from the same producers and the same people who did uh, Drive to Survive, which sparked like the F one really phenomenon in the U.S. specifically. Um, I think it's only going to add fuel to the fire that already exists from coming out of the pandemic and golf being the first sport back and you had you know the fun little you know match type things that people were tuning into because it was live sports now i think that you're going to get a behind the scenes look at everything that goes on with the pga tour kind of see what i think the traditional golf fan the casual golf fan and just like the person who's just tuning in on a sunday want is the personality and i think we're starting to get that a lot more and i think jake can agree with this too from just being on like the tiktok side of things like you want personality from any type of athlete and i think that's what this next generation that you and i steve have talked about like the people in our age demo are now starting to like tune into golf more frequently and that's kind of what we crave is like the personality and it's different from a a traditional big four sport or big five, if you want to include like soccer, MLS, um, depending on where you live. But with golf, you're picking a player or players to like follow along with. It's not, 
you know, this home base team type sport or, you know, uh, somebody's not based in a city and you can get behind, you know, the city type of thing. It's an individual yeah. that you're rooting for. And I think the more personality and the more like substance you get from somebody, the more inclined and the easier it is for a casual fan to root for that person. And I think what I think what you said speaks volumes and kind of kind of explains exactly what Jake and I are talking about. Every episode we watched, whether it was Joel Damon or Tony Fiena talking about his six kids and how his one son wants to be a pro like him, and how the guy cries when he wins events because he can't go watch his son play. Like those things to me, you 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 really see the emotionalness and the actual human humanism side of golf. Like I, I said it to Jake, like, like it's one thing you hear like on the hot mic. So like Justin Thomas goes, bro, you're an asshole to like himself when he misses right. a butt. But like, imagine like you're sitting there and you're Justin Thomas. Right. And it's, it, it, and it's the PG championship. You finished your round about a half hour ago and you're getting notice from your caddy who's on his phone and goes, Hey, Mito just dunked it on 18. Like, Start putting, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Now, like the guy's having a fucking anxiety attack on the golf course, and is like, "I just finished my round. I'm freaking the fuck out. I have Will Zalatoris breathing down my neck. I've got Mito dunking the ball and go going triple bogey town. I have to like somehow get golf balls from the uh, from the head at the range to be like, all right, let's like do a ten minute practice round if we even can." Pretty sure he hit like five shots, putted three balls, and said, "Fuck it, we fuck it, we all like." Like stuff like that, like you're you're really realizing like how these guys react and um and like how emotional things can actually be on a golf tour. Uh Matt Fitzpatrick, small guy, kind of underappreciated guy, goes out and wins the US Open and becomes a household name. And everyone's like, Oh, like this guy goes out goes out and does this. I'm not gonna spoil it because episode four is probably is is the best episode of the show. How um, many episodes is it? Eight. Okay. Honestly, like I watched it in two days. Like you can, you can knock it out in literally two days if you, if you try. It's, it's um, musical week, so it'll be a little tough. We our show opens on Wednesday, so we'll what's see. What's the show? We'll, we're going under the sea, baby. It's a Little Mermaid. I really hope uh, the uh, the live action version is uh, is taking um, inspiration from you guys. I hope so. I hope the live action's good. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for full swing. Like just from the the pop culture standpoint too of like stuff that all three of us have talked about just, you know, off pod and on pod. Like just the explosion that golf had in 2020 and then kind of getting this behind the scenes look and more into the personalities of the golfers and everything in like a center stage type of situation where like it's almost, you know, unfiltered content for the most part it's um, great no, i think it's i think it's going to create more like not clicks but more like connection to golfers and people like having like you know how there's like red sox nation there's phillies nation like in baseball and like all the the major four sports like there's gonna be like those stand type of like twitter accounts and shit for golfers i think more often after this yeah Jake, no, no, I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing we're going to see is like more of an average mediocre golf fan. And that really mm -hmm. doesn't exist right now in today's world. Like there's so many, like, I don't want to use the word fake, but like 
fair weather Yankees yeah. fans. There's so many fair weather Phillies fans. Like mm-hmm. it just it happens to where you can like someone a little bit and say, "Oh, I'm a Yankees fan," but you're not going to say, "Oh, I'm a Joel Damon fan." Oh, I'm a Scotty Scheffler fan, and not really know a lot about him. But I think this show will kind of bring in, like, even even people who don't care about golf at all. But when you watch certain episodes and you create these emotional connections to these golfers, like even my fiance, if she watches an episode and sees a guy and she's like, "Oh, that's really sweet. That's nice." She's gonna cheer for that guy now at least a little bit. And for me, my favorite episode, so look out for it, is when Sahith Tagala's dad is just like cheering for him down the stretch and this guy and like he he just moved out of his parents house a year ago and his dad's like oh come on buddy you got it go get it drop that putt in and he's like playing for three million dollars at the waste management and he's his dad's cheering like he's playing at a high school golf tournament it's just really cool to see like that family aspect i also love how uh Saad Tagala had no idea how to do laundry yeah that was um, funny I think it's funny because I'm 25 and I've been living alone. Well, technically, technically with my girlfriend, but I'm basically like my own child here. Um, I've been living with her for now seven months and uh, I know laundry uh, and I don't make nearly as much money as Sonic Tagala. And the fact that he is making millions and has no idea how to do laundry is kind of funny. So uh, it makes me feel better about myself. Yeah, right. I think also what's cool is, is that like, you learn a lot about the guys who, like their their inner circle. Um, the final episode, the second episode seven, they dive into uh, Mito Pereira and and again Sanat Tagala, but focusing in on, on Mito, right? Obviously, at that point, wasn't a part of Live, but would have dinner every week with Joaquin Neiman, who he grew up with, and Mito took took time off from golf, and Joaquin Neiman became the pro. Mito Pereira turned turned pro at 27. At that point, it was kind of like, oh, like what was always Joaquin Neiman looking up to Mito Pereira kind of flipped on its head. And every single week, they had dinner with Sebastian Munoz, who's also Venezuelan, with Carlos Ortiz, who's Mexican. They're all they're all coming together, a mixture of like cultures, but everyone's from Central and South America, and they kind of like have this like inner core. And it shows like all of them are really close, similar to like how JT and Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler are all best friends. Um, but overall, like we kind of gone through every episode. The only one we haven't really talked about though, like really was, um, was Roy McElroy. Like what a way to end a show than to have just the, just like the, as Kyle and I put it, uh, months ago when he won the RBC, the, uh, protector of the realm of the PGA tour, just like all out. It's about him talked about basically all of the minutia that you could and fit it into a 45 minute episode that honestly was the most compelling non golf episode I could have ever watched in my entire life. Yeah. No, I mean, good yeah, I mean, Roy's, Roy's episode is just the pinnacle of what the PGA tour is. And I think the hope of Netflix is for people to grasp onto that one and really be looking forward to them renewing it and coming out with a second season my only last two comments I'll make on the show are that number one, I think the disrespect to Ricky Fowler was kind of crazy. Like for his only little blurb to just say world ranking player 158 or whatever it was. And like not mentioning that at one point he was actually like the man in the PGA tour. I think 
if you're a new watcher, like imagine if you were watching Drive to Survive and like, I mean, I don't know enough about it, but if like say Lewis Hamilton fell off and the thing was just like current 25th ranked driver, but like they don't talk about everything else that yeah. he did. Um, I thought that was a little weird. Like they just, they just kind of kept it consistent, I guess. But, and then the other thing was, I hope this can still get the same push that F1 got. And I think F1 got the huge push is because like, we barely knew it existed in the United States. So it was like how the, the new girl in school is always the hottest. Like she comes and like, she automatically gets like plus four on her 10 ranking because she's just the new girl. But like, let's say it's someone that you've gone to school with forever and like known golf existed forever and just learning more about that person. Like if you don't like that person, you're not going to like them crazy amount. Um, so I hope it still gets a huge push, but I'm not sure if it will get the same push F1 got, um, but we can But I wait. think golf to that same, uh, you know, comparison golf is that thing that when we were in high school, it was the nerd thing and like only your dad's watched it and now it's the hot thing. Yeah, it's like that girl that like just got hot when she turned 28. Like like the glow no, the, but... the post high school glow up is golf. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. It it, it really is so true cuz like when I golfed when I was a kid, everyone was like, "Oh, I'm playing baseball and playing football." I was like, "I'm going to go golf." And everyone was like, "Bro, like you're a fucking nerd." Now it's like, yeah. "Oh, I, I I got a text the other day, and it was it it, it, it was a friend of mine who works at um at, at EY, and he goes, Steve, I'm going on a golf outing with our CEO. I haven't picked. I've never I've never lived at a club. I know you golf. Give me tips. I'm like, I can't teach you to golf in Just an hour. Tell him charge by the half hour. Yeah, exactly." <laughs> I'm gonna charge by the five minutes. You kidding me? Yeah, we're gonna turn. No, but like, like six minutes. But you're right. It, it it's literally the ugly girl that like that like, you were best friends with. You went away for college. You come home and she's automatically hot, and yeah. it's amazing. And I think, well, yeah, I think golf will, will get that jump, and I think it'll get, get a spark because of the fact that like people don't even know the the top golfers in the world. Like, yeah, you've heard of Roy McIlroy and you know who Tiger Woods is, but to actually get down to it and like learn about the inside, of, like. These guys, and again, like we had said, you learn about Scotty Scheffler and you're like, oh, like he's the third best golfer in the world. He goes, he plays tournaments, he eats brisket in his off days, and he just hangs out with his girlfriend and just eats ice cream. Yeah. And it's like Bruce Kepka who lives in this elaborate house and everything seems great. And deep down, he's just fucking depressed. Yeah. <laughs> like those things make golf amazing. Like, the, it, and KB said it, like, yeah, you can follow a team. But if you can follow a player and appreciate somebody for who they are, I think it makes it way more compelling. That's just me. Yeah, and seeing seeing this blow up would only be good not only for me, like personally on TikTok and our and our podcast, but like anyone in the golf media realm because everything just kind of drives up together. Like I posted a dumb TikTok the other day about like day one of watching. That was great. Yeah. And like I got it wrong on purpose. I said, um, I said watching day three, and then I said watching Ian Poulter. And I'm not an idiot. I knew Ian Poulter's episode was the third episode, but I got it wrong because I wanted people to comment about how I got it wrong, and it, and it happened. Like people were like, "Oh, you're so dumb. You don't even know what day it happened." And so like people are watching it. You know, at least that's awesome. So like to see that trigger is really cool. Yeah, and I, I think overall too, like. The idea that like golf can be something bigger, I think it's most certainly possible. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. yeah, is it like 
is it as boring as can possibly be to to watch? It's like watching paint dry. Yeah, but like when you go to events, it's way more fun. Like yeah. you go, and also people don't even realize it's like you can get tickets right now to like the players for like seventy bucks, and you're there for ten hours. Yeah, like you go forever, and you just, and you get pissed drunk off Nickelob Ultras, and you just go and have a good time. Like people are gonna keep on doing this, and they're gonna keep on enjoying it. I think overall, this is just going to simply broaden the scope of golf even further. And like, people are going to want to play it more. I, I I was sitting there watching it. And by the fourth episode, I had my putting mat out and, I, and I'm putting while I'm watching it. I was like, I have the golf bug so bad, but it's like 1230 at night and the ranges are closed. I was like, what do I do? Oh, it was so bad. But um, yeah, no, like people are going to want to follow this stuff and people, and if there is, if there is a second season of this, I would love to see, John Rom be included. Um, I would love Tiger Woods to be included in it. I would love to see Patrick Cantlay. I think you can get a lot of personality from from uh, Patrick Cantlay, despite despite his his awful outfit ideas and his uh, his his bank uh, company on the front. And you're telling me that if more seasons of this don't continue, we're not gonna get PGA live drama. Oh my right god, in front yeah, of our no. faces. Like that's that's what I think this is honestly like building towards for Netflix to like capitalize on is to get that first hand look at yeah. the true like inner workings of how the, the guys who stayed on the PGA tour truly feel about these live guys. Not to mention also And vice versa. Not to mention also, they captured seventy thousand hours of film. They give you 45 minute episodes, eight of them. I can only imagine the documentary that 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 these people can put out, basically just just analyzing the PGA versus Live situation. And I'm and and I'm I'm pretty confident that that at some point Netflix will release something where where it'll look like the headline will be PGA versus Live, mm-hmm. and it will be its own standalone two hour film because you have so much content that you can go, that you can dig into. And between Rory and like Tiger, we didn't even hear from Tiger. Like you can hear from all from, from so many guys and get such a look. I think You're that would be me they weren't incredible. filming when Tiger was getting off that plane for that players only meeting. No, they they were filming that. They they had they had the filming. They probably had people in the room filming it. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. They they had like the final episode. Not to spoil it for you, but like literally had follow following the players meeting at the BMW just for like 10 minutes, an interview with Rory McIlroy where it was just literally the Q and a from that. And like, you hear Rory go, go in depth about this. Like you don't even hear the stuff outside of like what Dylan DTA is tweeting out on, out on a Tuesday or Dan Rapport. Also, by the way, uh, if season two comes out, I'm looking forward to my spot um, on the show. I want to be able to, 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 to talk shit. Um, I, like Dan, Dan and Dylan are great, but like, give me some love here. I think, I think, uh, underground could do a great job at uh, at chatting up this stuff. Also, Amanda Balio and had way too much uh, FaceTime. I'm sorry, way too much, way, way too, too much. much. That's just me. All right. Hey, I mean, we have we have multiple shows that deal with uh, Netflix properties now. So exactly, like exactly. whatever the PLL Netflix. show comes out, I would love to see you get a a spot on that one. Well, I mean, we had the PLL documentary, which was absolutely fucking incredible. So we had that. We have full swing. 
We just announced on uh, Big Game Sunday our F1 content, which is going off the charts right now. Shout out to Casey Libertor. Go follow Underground under Underground underscore F1 on the tweet machine. Um, podcast coming soon. My question for you guys, because I fully expect there to be multiple seasons of full swing. Simply based off the success of Drive to Survive, like that's in season five now. Season five is coming out. How many seasons do you think will be feasible for full swing? Because I, I think they can go as long as they want to. I I completely agree with you. Like, I mean, there's so much turnover on the tour. And, like, even with the eight episodes we got, like, they had to have had in the bank episodes of people that weren't winning. Because the only people we watched were people that won the tournament yeah. and were, like, competing to win the tournament that week. So – they obviously didn't go into it and like planned out these eight episodes to have these people are going to go each week. You know what I'm saying? Like they just saw what happened and created things around people that happened. So for them to have all this banked footage of Mito before he went and played the PGA championship, even though Mito kind of sucked before that happened, like that's mind boggling that they had a camera with Mito and Joaquin and Joaquin Neiman at the PGA championship, like before he even was a person that was even worth following. So I can't imagine the amount of footage they have. So like they can do this for 10 more years. Easy. And like, I wouldn't say, all right, I wouldn't go that far, but. Oh, I would. I would. If you, if you don't curate it around, let's film the whole year and then release it. You can get so much content. Consider the guys who aren't in the show. John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, they didn't. They didn't even talk Cameron Smith, the guy fucking won the Open. The, the only the only moment you get of Cameron Smith, and again, they talk. They, they talk to three live guys. The only moment you get of Cameron Smith is Rory McIlroy walking off St Andrews, and it's like, well, fuck, I lost to this guy. Yeah, like, you and that's just- why I think they have like an endless shelf life of doing this show. On top of, and we've talked about this a ton on streamer season too. Um, this is the type of shit Netflix needs yeah. as content. Like the pandemic really as a whole fucked Netflix with their original content. And that's why it's been this long process and bounce back. And like, I genuinely think like the whole like Netflix password sharing thing is just a product to get people to talk about Netflix yeah. more than anything. Uh, because then they, they pulled an old Elon Musk and said, Oh, it, we, it was a mistake that it was included in our, our bylines and everything for, for our product. Netflix needs this original content like the drive to survives like full swing in the documentary space to go along with the big budget productions, like the stranger things, the Bridgertons and stuff like that, because I'm sure you guys both agree. Nobody fucking cares about these like C level movies that Netflix is putting out. Like it's great. It's like, it's like putting on now. It's like putting on FX on a Sunday afternoon just on Netflix. Like it's that's what it is. Yeah. And you want to see like this original content from Netflix and I think they're on that upswing again with bringing that type of stuff and Netflix wants to get more in the the sports space as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. them pairing up with these like niche type of sports like golf, like F1 and you know the possibilities for Netflix to, you know, grab some of these niche sports is endless. Um, like they've been in talks to be like the official like broadcast partner for like major league surfing. Um, 
So, I mean, if Netflix can pull all of these like niche sports, it's only going to help their numbers and get their subscribers back to where they want them to be. Yeah. And, and sorry, I mean, I'd be curious as to like, what's the next step for Netflix? Is it to expand on golf? Or like you said, like, is it go to go get a guy like Koa Rothman in, in major league surfing or in like, and off wave surfing and dive into that niche because there's a huge niche like that on YouTube. I think they got to find like Netflix's big move is like, what's the big YouTube niches right now? And like, what kind of guys have these big followings? And we really dive in and put big budgets into it instead of these super low budget YouTube things. And then the other thing with expansion of seasons is like, if this goes well, they're going to get permission. From guys like I know, I know Rom denied being in it this year because he was scared they're gonna like make him look bad and like this angry guy that he doesn't want to look like. But I thought they did a great job of not painting anyone in a negative light the whole entire time. Like Brooks did it to himself on his own, but like other than that, no one was painted anywhere near negative. Like everyone yeah. was giving the best chance to look positive, and I think that's gonna only help them get like sign-offs for more guys to have mm. feature episodes. Yeah, and, and again, going 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 back to the point here, like guys who weren't even in this show, John Rahm, Cantlay, uh, Cameron Smith, Xander Shoffley, Will, like you could literally, like Will Zalatoris, you could have literally found a character arc already in this, lost the PGA, his putter sucks, mm. and then finally wins an event at the FedEx St. Jude during the playoffs. Like that, that right withdraw. there... That right there is probably an episode. You've they also missed the mark on Max Homa. You can easily yeah, cover Max Homa in any regard. Victor Hovland, Sam Burns, Tom Tom Kim is the prime example of season two, episode one of Full Swing. He mm-hmm. is the face. It's him. It's Cameron Young. It's Sun JM. Like these are guys who are ready to go. And honestly, like not for nothing too. There's always gonna be a new guy. Two years ago, when I was in grad school, the talk of the town was Colin Morikawa winning two majors in his first six tries. Now it's like, all right, Colin's here, but Tom Kim's the new guy in town. And Cameron Young's the new guy here. And Saat Tagala is here. Like, there's always going to be a plethora of talent coming through the door. So you're always going to find new guys to talk about. There's always going to be a fun storyline. Think yeah, about season it. Season six, Ben Pirro. Yeah, like, if Full uh-huh. Swing happened three years ago, right? The Phil Mickelson story arc of winning the player, uh, the, winning the PGA, would have been prime. You're telling me that no other 40, 40 something year old is going to win a major? Yeah. Like, it, like a- anything can happen. It, li- like, literally, in three months, right? You go to the PGA Championship, right? Or, or in two months, you go to the PGA. If Matt Kuchar wins the PGA, you, you, now, have a, you now have an episode. Make it happen. Do it. I think you could get so much content out of this, especially like you're saying, Kyle, like so long as there's live controversy, you have content. You have content. So just and go after this it. is the challenge to uh the full swing production team, director, everybody. Come on again the whole podcast. Yeah. Big time on that. Come I'd on again the whole podcast. I'd be curious to what their drop dead date was for footage. Like, I think I, I would almost guarantee their drop dead date was before Tom Kim. Like, everyone even knew his name. You know what I'm saying? So that even mm-hmm. shows, like, I bet you there's no way Netflix is dumb enough to not have, still continue to record after their drop dead date and, like, start creating footage for season two, even if they don't renew. Like, mm-hmm. they definitely extended. Like, they're definitely filming stuff right now. 
even if they're not talking about it. 100%. Boys, have a good wrap-up. Uh, I got to go record streamer season, oddly. Appreciate you being here. You go have fun. Enjoy yourself. So we've been we've been at this for a hot sack. I think we should just kind of jump right into this and uh, and call it a day. Uh, it's time for beer money. Um, I'm not even going to bother talking about what's happening at the Honda this week because the yeah, field is just so ass. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't even have bets yet. So we're just going to kind of wing this and see see. Where we go, but it's time for Beer Money, brought to you by our friends over at Kenwood Beer, Philadelphia's number one light lager. Go and go to KenwoodBeer.com. Use the Kenny Tracker to find out where you can get your hands on some, on some ice-cold Kennys today. Well, actually tomorrow because we're it's, it's already at night and the package are probably closed. Top 20 pick at the Honda Classic. I don't, I'm not even going to give you like a ton of rundown on these picks. I just did a little bit of research and like – So did I. So I Whoever, but my top 20 is Webb Simpson plus 300. Uh, my top twenty is going to be Matt Kuchar. That's all. Uh, the there's no rhyme or reason. He played well at the Genesis, and usually if you play well there, you play well here. So so I'm kind of going to that top ten. Top ten is plus fifty value odds. I think Harris English is playing well. Who wait? Who who's this? Harris English. Harris English. English. I like it. Um, I'll take Minwoo Lee. I uh, didn't realize you until like you love a good Asian golfer. I, I love an Asian golfer who hails from Australia. Yeah, that's different. That just makes the name game 10 times better. Top five. Thomas Dietrich plus 700 top five. Wow, <laughs> we have no rivalry. We're just going at it. Uh, I'm going to join you on Dietrich. I'm also going to play him in uh, in fantasy this week, so I might as well get behind him. Give me pick. Who, who are you going with? Sun JM top five plus 210. Still good value for him being the only real golfer in the field. Give me Sanjay M top 10 at plus 100. Wow. Plus He's 100. Like He's going to be seventh. I'm going to be so pissed. Totally fine with me. Uh, I'll win money. You'll lose money. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Who's winning this week? This was a pick I actually researched a little bit because I like giving a good winner pick. And I think he is in good form. He's ready to go. And that's Aaron Wise at plus 2250. My pick. I All right. I, I, have, I have two picks, actually. Um, they're both at plus three thousand. The one who I will name who will win is Denny McCarthy. Wow, uh, I love that pick. I love that. Pick. Has been on fire. I live bet him the past two weeks to finish top ten, and he but and he has. Uh, the other guy who I would bet honestly is Billy Horschel, just because the horses for courses experience thing matters to me, yeah. and uh, I simply think think that he can be an asset this week in a really shitty field. So Horschel and McCarthy are my plays. Our wild card picks again. Your boy won again. I don't think I'm ready yet. I think we got to just post those. I'm not ready for that yet. Because there's no way we can play more than three people at time right now. Like, I think we probably, we probably could do like three wildcard picks, right? Maybe. I, I say we just text back and forth. We figure it out and then look for the posts on Instagram. We've been posting them every week. Look for those. Look for those graphics and follow the Instagram. That's what we'll give you. All right, er, er, early looks currently screams Nick Taylor, Jonathan Vegas, and Taylor Pendrith. So we'll see uh, where I go from there, if anything. Okay. I don't, I don't really I'm know. I'm thinking right now, I don't even have a single person that's playing this week. <laughs> Is Joel Damon playing this week? I don't know. Like, honestly, like, that's, that's the guy I would think. Like, I don't think J.J. Spawn's playing. Definitely, like, not my top guys, like. JT's not playing. Homa's not playing. Tom Kim's not playing. Even, I'm thinking my, my like middle of the road guys aren't even playing. 
I'm about to drop six wild cards. Who else do you have? So you have Damon, you have... I got Damon on the lower end. Let me get a look. Oh, my God. I, I have to look at my team. I'm nervous. All I know is that, that I, I have Tom Dietrich. Um, Kisner? I, you don't have Kiz. I don't Kiz. think he's playing. I don't think he's playing. All right. Well, you have Andrew Novak. I don't think he's playing either. Oh, he is. Is he? I looked. I couldn't find him. All right. So, so <laughs> all right. So, so, you have Andrew Novak and Cam Davis. I thought Cam Davis is going to be good this year. I don't know what happened with him. I have. I, oh, my God. Do I have nobody? Fuck, this is bad. I, ha, I, I think I have one guy. You got Dietrich, right? I have Dietrich. That's it. Wow, yeah, no. <laughs> I have yeah, four I mean, cards this week. Like, this is going to be just a crazy wild card. So look out for the graphic. We're going right, to have so, to do this more. All right. While we're here, though, you have two guys. I have one guy. Do I get the first pick then? Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, deal. I'm taking Sun JM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. Fuck it. <laughs> that's fair. That was the easy one. Thank you, folks, for joining us here this week on the Get the Love Podcast. The Honda Classic and how bad the field is. We'll see who does a little bit better. Be on the lookout for our graphics. We can give you a little more breakdown of our, our picks. Check out our wild cards. And of course, have a great week this week. The Honda Classic better, better hope for, uh, for next week. We'll see what comes, but Hey, you know what? The elevated events are still, are, are, are still rolling. So we'll be back soon. See you guys next week for Stephen McAvoy. That's Jake Dippold. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to get in the hole, the official golf podcast of underground sports, Philadelphia. Catch us every week wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GetInTheWholePod. And follow Underground Sports Philadelphia at UndergroundPHI. We'll see you next time. And remember, Get In The Hole!